El Dorado, where we are celebrating 150 years in El Dorado. Why would you want to live anywhere else? I'm your host, Deanna Bond, and joining me for this series is Suzanne Walenta, curator of the Butler County Historical Society, home of the Kansas Oil Museum, each Wednesday at 12 o'clock noon on KBTL 88.1 The Grizz. We will be taking you on a trip through time as we uncover the history and the ghosts of El Dorado's past. Celebrating 150 years in El Dorado is brought to you by Everyday El Dorado in conjunction with Golden Road Studios, the Butler County Historical Society, home of the Kansas Oil Museum, the City of El Dorado, KBTL 88.1 The Grizz, and our series sponsor, Linda Baines, Realtor with Sun Group Real Estate and Appraisal. We're so very grateful for the support that makes this series possible. Welcome to another episode of Everyday El Dorado. I'm your host, Deanna Vaughn, and joining me is... I'm Suzanne Walenta. Hi, Suzanne. Hi. Sometimes I feel like, I, do I need to keep introducing? Do I just need to stop and... I don't know. Say hi. 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 <laughs> oh, we're here for a very special episode. I feel like we've been doing a lot of special episodes lately. Yes, we have. You know what? Every episode is special. That's right. At least this one's special. We're doing a special episode today. We kind of wanted to take a look at some different ghosts, mm -hmm. I guess. Different ghosts of El Dorado's past. This week is Halloween. Yes. Scary. So we're going to look at some scary, maybe more mystery-tinged kind of stories. Yeah. So what I was thinking was um, we had done the cemetery tours last year. Mm -hmm. And they've been really popular. Yes, they were. And since uh, we can't do that because of COVID mm -hmm. this year, I thought, why don't we take a virtual tour through the cemetery? It's kind of not the same thing. I'm yeah. trying to imagine like the leaves crunching. Mm -hmm. The wind through the trees. As the sun sets really suddenly. The cold. Mm -hmm. It really wasn't that cold last year. It was not cold last year. It was really nice. Yeah, it actually was, yeah. So, since we can't do that, we're going to try to paint a different kind of visual picture with our stories here. Um, and I, I thought, well, uh, this this episode will be airing on March twenty eighth. Okay. So a couple days before Halloween. But I thought you it would mean be October twenty eighth. Yeah. What did I say? March twenty eighth. Oh, March twenty eighth. No, October twenty eighth. <laughs> You're right. What month is this? Well, you know, it's been March all year. It, you know, it's been who knows what month and date it has been this year. <sighs> It's Period. been the longest year ever. It it's been the long well, it's been the longest March ever. <laughs> well, this is true. That's when quarantine started. Mm -hmm. It has been oh. the longest March ever. Yes. So, so what story should we start with today? Well, I thought it would be fun to start with a newspaper article okay. from October thirty first. Mm -hmm. Kind of a Halloween. You know, I wondered if there was if I'd find some kind of Halloween mm -hmm. references, but in the early years where I went looking. Uh, there weren't really references to Halloween. Um, I found some later, but this one's an article from um, this one's from October thirty first, nineteen oh five, and uh, this is in our daily El Dorado Republican. And uh, I thought it was a good story. Not, it's not a good story. It's uh, it's appropriate. Mm -hmm. Appropriate for our, our episode. Yeah, that might be it. So the title is, Victim Was a Chorus Girl. You know where we're going with this. Mm. It's a newspaper article. Yes. It involves a victim. And uh, probably a mystery. Police Department of Boston has partially solved the suitcase mystery. Mm, that's an interesting subtitle. Mm -hmm. Lover arrested in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. The plot thickens. De detectives are now trying to locate the physician who it is believed dissected the body working on an important clue movements of young woman hard to trace so now we have a lover arrested mm -hmm. and a doctor mm -hmm. as well mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. this doctor who's been implicated is uh not found yet it looks like okay. hard to trace these clues so okay. this story comes out of boston okay October 31, 
Sunday's investigations have satisfied police that the victim of the suitcase tragedy was Susan Geary of Cambridge, a chorus girl. They were making every effort Monday to discover who was responsible for the death of the young woman. At the request of Chief William Watts of the Bureau of Criminal Investigation, Morris Nathan, to whom the girl was engaged, is being held by police at Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, pending a further investigation. I'm just gonna stop there because mm -hmm. I just feel like it's always the person closest that they look at first. Yes. Like, he, if they were engaged, immediately he's a first suspect. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna reserve my judgment mm -hmm. because I'm thinking maybe not. Yeah. The torso found in the suitcase off Winthrop. I wonder where Winthrop was. You think that's a street? A suitcase was found off the Winthrop? September yeah, 21, having shown that only a skilled surgeon could have dissected the body in the manner in which it had been done. The police are endeavoring to learn what physician the young woman may have consulted at the time she left the Shepherd King Theatrical Company on September 10th. So my first thought is, is the boyfriend a physician? Oh, that's a good question. A surgeon. It doesn't say. It doesn't sound, well, it sounds like they're looking for two people. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I don't think he is. I, I, I don't think so either. But if only a skilled surgeon could have done it, mm -hmm. if the boyfriend isn't, or the fiance is not a skilled surgeon, mm -hmm. I pretty much am gonna rule him out. Yeah, I would too. Provided with photographs of the dead woman, Detectives are scouring this city in efforts to trace the movements of Miss Geary from the time she was last seen by her mother at home in Cambridge on Sunday afternoon, September 10th. At that time, she left saying she was going to join the Shepherd King Company with which she was connected on its trip to Lowell. The police have learned from members of the company that the young woman did not join them she failed to appear at the opening performance in Lowell, but the management received a note signed ostensibly by a doctor saying that Miss Geary was too ill to fill her place and would not be able to do so for several days. Hmm. Hmm. The note was signed P.H. Smith, MD Boston. One of the most important features of the police work Monday was the effort to establish the identity of the writer of the missive. The name apparently was fictitious, there being no P.H. Smith among the registered physicians of Boston. Oh. It's starting to look like mm -hmm. somebody not P.H. Smith. It was recalled that a doctor whose name had been given to the police in connection with the purchase of a suitcase, which held the dismembered body, had left the city and that two weeks ago in a New York hotel, he privately met the pawnbroker who sold one of the suitcases. Hmm. So the doctor who they don't really know, mm -hmm. whose name is fictitious, they have decided did go and meet a pawnbroker in a hotel to buy a suitcase. How do they know that? I don't know either. If they haven't found the doctor yet. I don't know either. They've traced a suitcase to a hotel that was sold by a pawnbroker to a doctor who they don't know if he exists. Huh. That's right. After the meeting, it was announced that the broker had failed to identify the doctor as the purchaser of the article, but the police declared that they were not satisfied with the progress. You know, I'm thinking police work was pretty hard back then. Mm -hmm. Later, the pawnbroker stated that while he had not identified the doctor as his customer, there were many points of resemblance. He resem so his customer resembled a doctor huh. who seems to be fictitious. This is a very confusing article. <laughs> I'm thinking so too. The police would not indicate whether the steps had been taken to locate the doctor, 
Neither would they state that no suspicion was directed towards him. Okay. <laughs> I'm trying to decide if this is a true story or not. Yeah, it kind of is going all over the place. I mean, a little bit. Detective John W. McGar has been sent to Pittsburgh for the purpose of examining Nathan. Which is the fiancé. Mm-hmm. And other members of the Shepherd King Company. The question of bringing Nathan to this city would not be determined, it was said by the police, until after McGar had completed his investigation in Pittsburgh. He is due in Pittsburgh at 6.30 Tuesday morning. In this connection, Superintendent Pierce of the Bureau of Criminal Investigation stated that Nathan knew as much as anyone about the girl and her movements and also of her physical condition prior to her sudden disappearance from the theatrical company of which she was a member. Nathan's engagement to the girl was opposed by the members of her family, he said. And efforts had been made to prevent the proposed marriage. So I'm kind of seeing a little Romeo and Juliet. Uh -huh. Superintendent Pierce said he hoped to make an arrest here in the case. He added that the police department was working on important information, but that it would be imprudent to divulge its nature at this time. This is starting to feel like a real mystery. Yes. No, it does. Yeah. I'm still not convinced that the boyfriend did it. I have seen no connection to him yet. Because he's not even in the same town. No. No, he's in Pittsburgh where he was arrested, where he'd been. Uh -huh. um, so what's interesting is right below this, there's another article. Okay. Salem, Massachusetts, October 31. And so this is the same Salem mm -hmm. where we have the witch trials. The witch trials. Mm -hmm. Although the last letter ever received by Mrs. Catherine Geary of Cambridge from her daughter, Susan, who is believed to have been the victim of the Winthrop suitcase tragedy, was mailed in this city September 19th. It has not been ascertained whether the young woman was in Salem at that date. The Shepherd King Company was here from September 18 to September 20. She did not register with the other members of the company at the hotel where the company stayed, and the clerk of the hotel is positive she was not with the others. The police believe that the letter was written elsewhere and brought here for mailing as a part of the elaborate plan undertaken to conceal the girl's whereabouts. So they're thinking she was killed in September. This is story is now October. Mm -hmm. So I guess it's possible the boyfriend could have, I mean, we're talking, he could have gone back and forth at that point. Mm -hmm. hmm. Someone, someone. So she was at her mom's house on the 10th. Yes. And said, I'm gonna go join the theater company. The theater company. And maybe she'd been a member of them and set out one of the performances and decided to go join this one um, for whatever reason. But didn't stay with the company at the hotel in Boston. And never actually made it. So somewhere between leaving mom's house on the 10th and the check-in on the 18th. In Boston, she's gone missing. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And if mom lived in, uh, did they say Cambridge? Cambridge? Oh, Cambridge. Okay. Cambridge. And the theater company was in Lowell. Of course, I'm not looking at a map. But, and the boyfriend's in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I'm not sure what he's doing there. They were engaged to be married. Did she maybe meet him? See, I have more oh, questions. Yeah. My conspiracy mind starts wondering, did she meet him at a, another performance in another town? That's possible. Um, but the suitcase shows up in Boston. On Winthrop Street. With her body in it. Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering, was it her suitcase? I know they threw this red herring about this pawnbroker in a hotel uh -huh. who sewed a suitcase to a doctor, maybe that we don't know who exists. Uh -huh. I'm thinking that seems a little far-fetched for me. Yes. But if she was traveling from her mother's to wherever mm -hmm. she was gonna meet up with the company to do the next performance. And was killed along the way mm -hmm. and stuffed into her suitcase and left on Winthrop Road. 
I'm thinking she was probably killed around there uh -huh. by someone. And whether or not she was ill, if there was a note sent to the theater company, the person who sent the note would have, one, known that she was a part of it, that she was on her way. Yeah. Probably would be a little more intimately connected, not only with her, but with the theater company. Would understand how it works. Which is why they're thinking of fiance, because he mm -hmm. would have known a well, lot we don't of details. Know. We don't know if he was involved with the theater company. They didn't say he's in another town. True. I mean, at this point, he's in another town. Mm -hmm. Was he, I would want to know where he was between the eighth, the 10th and the 18th. Yeah. And if, but let's even say if he, if he, he wasn't apparently with her on the 10th at mom's house. Mm -hmm. And if they were engaged to be married, when did they get engaged or when did they, you know, I'd want to know mm -hmm. some of those. I have more questions about that backstory. Oh, yeah. But I still don't think he did it. He is, I don't think he did well, it. Well, the primary focus of the story is about this mystery doctor mm -hmm. in a suitcase. Mm -hmm. And unless the fiance has some type of a medical background, I'm not, they haven't shown a connection mm -hmm. to why they're investigating the fiance. Mm -hmm. Other than the families didn't want them to be married. Someone didn't like him. Mm -hmm. So maybe a, a, I wonder if there would be a, a surgeon or a doctor in um, maybe on his side of the family that didn't want the marriage to happen mm -hmm. either, maybe. This is very interesting, yeah. A lot more questions. Reminds so, me of the Black Dahlia. Uh-huh. And that mystery. Yeah. Who killed her? Yeah. And I think, you know, back then, they were doing what they could with what they had. Yes. You know, we have the internet now. We have mm -hmm. the ways to start thinking of things differently and research and go down mm -hmm. other, other kind of rabbit holes, other conspiracy theories. But they really had to just kind of go with what they were presented. You know, my 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 thought was if it was the, you know, a surgeon mm -hmm. who um, they assumed based on the skill of the body's dissection, you know, and um, there was some talk about the couple being engaged and families not wanting the engagement to happen. If she left her mom's house, and never showed up. Maybe mm -hmm. she was on her way for maybe. Yeah. Uh, maybe I think so. And then the doctor. Maybe she went to have an abortion. Yeah. And was the doctor uh -huh, accidentally killed her? Maybe. Mm -hmm. And then needed to dispose of the the evidence. Yep. And uh, I mean that that's kind of was my first very first kind of intuition about yeah, it. Yeah. Usually. Mm -hmm. So there is a picture. I, if I'm finding the right. There she, there she is. Change the way Boston. Okay. So we so we definitely can look in Boston. Yeah, definitely looked Boston. Um, and it looks like it was um, it's tied to abortion. Uh, you know that was my first thought, wasn't yeah. it? So this story, it, this looks like it was a. This was published in the Boston, uh, the Boston paper. Okay. In November of two thousand fifteen. So they're wow. revisiting some the this. Um, 2015? Yeah, they're just revisiting okay. the story. So they start talking about for years, young women have been dying as a result of botched abortions performing medical, illegal medical parlors in downtown Boston, but never had the crimes been as shrouded as mystery as the suitcase mystery that you found. Mm -hmm. um, so days after the suitcase was found, police found the first promising clue um, the description of a man someone thought they saw in the area, as well as the word of missing East Boston girl. And then there was another victim, apparently, as well. Hmm. Um, and then they found this suitcase in the river. Um, so they identify her um, and her, her stage name. She went, Her stage name was Ethel Durrell. Okay. And her, uh, she's a 20-year-old chorus girl. So just days after Nathan was brought to Boston, he's charged with crime of abortion on a dead girl which is interesting. Hmm. Another arrest is made. That's the boyfriend. That's the boyfriend. Okay. A doctor, then a doctor, Percy McLeod, a back base surgeon and a graduate of Harvard Medical School was alleged to have dismembered Gary's body, according to the Globe. Others are soon implicated and arrested as well. So it starts growing. Mm -hmm. um, goodness. Uh, November 5th, they find her head in a bag in the Boston Harbor. 
So just a few days after this, mm -hmm. this yeah. article. Then apparently raids begin. So November 11th, the police began a series of raids in Boston, shattering storefronts and banging down doors at more than 50, 15 locations where they suspected illegal abortions were taking place. Mm. Um, apparently these locations have been known to police and prosecuting authorities for a long time. Not since the finding of the torso of the unfortunate Susanna Geary has public interest been aroused to such a high-pitched, the paper quotes. Mm -hmm. um, then it goes on to talk about the arrests. And now inside the office of a Dr. Jane Bishop, police found a mask that was allegedly worn by whoever performed the abortion on Geary. Geary. So the doctor wore, allegedly wore a mask yeah. to perform the abortion? Yes. The mask, so it couldn't be identified? I guess. So they say the mask consists of a complete head covering, yep, of black hair with long flowing black whiskers of the Burnside variety and a gauze covering for the remaining portion of the face that even the operator could not be identified by the color of his eyes was made certain. So yeah, so he couldn't later on identify the person. So mm -hmm. they go on to talk about the rounding these people up. Um, That's quite a mask. Yes. So, in the days and weeks following the raids, three individuals involved in her death, Gary's death, went on trial. What emerged from the Globe's reporting during the trial shed light on how Gary spent her final days. She performed, her, she performed on stage for the final time on September 9th. And the following day, she visited a medical parlor on Tremont Street in Boston, where Mary S. Dean performed an abortion. Hmm. Gary soon became ill. Several people were testified that a grave error had resulted in Gary suffering from septic poisoning. Her condition worsened. Dr. McLeod was called in to assist and perform a second operation in an effort to save Gary's life. But Gary became sicker. On September 18th, Gary wrote a letter to her mom in which she claimed to be in Salem, sick with diarrhea. She was actually, in fact, at another home in Roxbury hours from her death. Mm. Uh, Gary was told she was dying and she said to Vastine to pray with her. She died in the early morning hours of September 19th. Discussions ensued on how to proceed, and Dean and Dr. McLeod decided to dismember Geary and put her body in a suitcase. They offered $100 apiece to two men who purchased the suitcases and were instructed to dump them into the Atlantic Ocean near Portland, Maine. Instead, the men opted to drop the cases from the East Boston Ferry. Within 48 hours, the suitcases con containing Geary's torso surfaced in North Harbor. Dr. McLeod was found not guilty. Lewis Crawford and William Hunt, the two men who disposed of the suitcases containing Gary's body, pleaded guilty and were sentenced to prison. So that's interesting. The men who disposed were prosecuted and got sentenced, but it sounds like Dr. McLeod. The people who actually did, did the dismembering yeah. and hiring uh -huh. of the thugs. Yeah, but for months, police continued to search for, doc for Dean. That was the first doctor. Mm -hmm. The search took them to Portland, to Maine, to New York City, Nova Scotia, but Dean was never found. Mm. So McLeod got off, mm. Dean's never located, but the two men who are the body in the river are, and she, Susanna Geary is buried in New Calvary Cemetery just three miles from where she died. Wow. Now it doesn't mention her fiance again, so I'm not sure why he was arrested in this article doesn't huh. go into that. Yeah. About why he was arrested, but obviously he wasn't, um, wasn't involved, wasn't involved, but, um, but always the the lover or the spouse or mm -hmm. the close person is always the first suspect. Yeah. And maybe there was a, I'd be curious to know if they thought he helped make the connections to uh -huh. the abortion. He might have known she was pregnant. He probably knew. Mm -hmm. And then he may have known she was going to get an abortion, maybe. Because mm -hmm. um, I would like to know more about why he was arrested in it. Uh -huh. Like, did he know of these abortion parlors in Boston? I don't think so. I think it was just a, Maybe she a, knew. a conclusion that mm -hmm. they led to, and uh, they were going to get married, and maybe that's why they were going to get married, because she was pregnant, uh, yeah. and no one else wanted her to get married, So, and maybe she secretly didn't want to have a baby mm -hmm. and get married, and you know, I who knows yeah. what the thing... Well, that's an interesting. I love yeah. a good mystery. That is a good mystery story that you found a good one. Well, you know, it's October thirty first. Yeah, <laughs> kind of easy to kind yeah. of trip on, but you know that's and a very tragic. And it's a very tragic that for all mm -hmm. all involved, it's very tragic. And and you know, so now I have more questions. Though, yes. whatever happens to Mary Dean? Yeah, did she change her name and move to Canada? Yeah, was I it ever her real name? 
I mean, maybe it was P.H. Smith, the doctor. That's true. Yeah. Did you mention in the first one? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, that that was a doctor's name, right? Maybe they... Yeah. Still, why didn't they use their own doctor name? If they were just signing her note because she was sick. You know, that mm -hmm. leads to some mm -hmm. more question. If she was still alive at that point and hadn't died. Yeah. And if she wrote the note to her mother that was mailed the day of her death or the day before her death. Um, well, was it because they were just all concerned they would all be implicated mm -hmm. in an illegal? Because mm -hmm. That now, part was not legal. Yeah. yeah. They'd already gotten that far into the illegal mm -hmm. act. Mm -hmm. But now you had two doctors. Mm hmm that if she'd gone to the hospital being sick like that they they'd know they would know what happened but still poor judgment oh, bad decisions yeah, after the one fact, thing never after make it another better. no oh that's sad well in in um keeping with bad decisions <laughs> we are going to talk about some more ghost stories today yes. i don't know ghost stories mystery stories mm -hmm. halloween just feels like a good time to resurrect some mysteries yeah unsolved mysteries yes yeah, so we have some we've for lack of a better word dug up some Ooh. this is where i need to insert spooky music yes you do yeah. <laughs> we've dug up some stories and we did that a little with the help of of ken mm -hmm. from last year's tour mm -hmm. so he he had done a lot of research that we used in the in the tours mm -hmm. and so we thought we'd share a couple of those stories here and we have a we have maybe some extra stories here that we wanted to share. Um, and the first one you have for us, you want to, do you want to go with this one? Yes, please. This one? Uh-huh. Okay. So this is kind of a local, a local story. This, uh, this is a home on the, it used to be the poor farm. Um, this is a personal pro or a private property. Mm -hmm. So nobody needs to be going knocking on any doors mm -hmm. and, asking to come inside. Mm -hmm. so the story was shared with us by mm -hmm. the property owner. So fun fact, before we go uh -huh. into all the story, our, we have a great tie-in to one of our early founders with this story. Huh. So I don't know if you remember, but our Henry Martin, Yes. his brother-in-law was the first owner of this. He was the first to, to um, claim this land and get a oh. patent on this land in the 18, I don't remember the year. <laughs> it would be good to remember that, but I do do know that. So uh -huh. it was William Krimble okay. and his, uh, so Henry Martin's wife was Carolyn Krimble and her brother was William Krimble. And they were in uh, the group together that came. They were the second wave of, uh, of settlers uh -huh. here in El Dorado. They came in July of 1857. And so... Uh, William went on to buy this piece of property. He was the first owner. And after he decided to move and, and leave this area, um, he sold that piece of land to the county. Okay. And the county then created the poor farm. Okay. And so that's why we call this property the poor farm now, even though originally it was the Crimble farm. It, it is, it was known as poor farm. Oh, that's good that's a good local back history story yes. or backstory history. Mm -hmm. I didn't really say that sentence correctly. Yeah. yeah. So I've done a little bit of research uh -huh. around different uh, aspects of this property and stories connected with it. But oh, this is going to be fun to fun to hear this story yeah. from the current resident. And I'll kind of she wrote it in her um, tone, so I'll kind of just um, kind of as I read from the paper and kind of explain back. So mm -hmm. hopefully it's not too bad mm -hmm. reading it. So her, um, the owner uh, states that the building was originally built in 1898 as an infirmary. The house is on top of a hill and there are long porches on the west side where they would wheel patients outside for fresh air. Um, in 1926, a large front room was added onto the house and bathrooms were installed and so was electricity. She states that that is when she believes it became a poor farm um, before welfare, if people couldn't afford to support themselves, they would move to the poor farm. Work was arranged for them, and half of the money they earned would go to the poor farm for their upkeep while they kept the other half. There were 25 bedrooms in the home. The north and south wings held 11 bedrooms each with a bathroom at the end of the hall. I'm sorry, the north and south wings had 11 bedrooms. 
Oh, and the bathroom is at the end of the hall with multiple stalls, which are communal. Three bedrooms upstairs belong to the caretaker and his family. Mm -hmm. In World War II, this location becomes a prisoner of war camp. There was no fence because none of the prisoners wanted to escape and rejoin the war efforts in a more active role. This is according to her mm -hmm. and what she believes mm -hmm. to be true. Just wanted to state that. Not, yes. Yeah, this is her fact. Mm -hmm. in, 18, in 1960, it was turned into her nursing home and two more smaller homes were brought in across the driveway. In the 80s, it was converted to a private home with a daycare in the basement. Mm. And um, this owner bought the property in 1999. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of cool. She gave us kind of a nice little outline of how she knew the history of the mm -hmm. property to be. Mm -hmm. um, she said, so she goes on in her story that she shared with us that right away when she bought the property in, in 1999, um, she would have strangers come up to her at Walmart and mm -hmm. offer to exercise the house for free. How would you like to just be shopping along with your cart, mm -hmm. looking at groceries mm -hmm. or apples and have some, hey, you want exorcism for free? <laughs> so she's also told, had people tell her that uh, their elderly relatives died in the house, which would make sense because mm -hmm. um, if it was a nursing mm -hmm. home. Hey, my, my elderly relative died in your bedroom. Yeah. Just right, yeah, just walk, keep on walking while you're at Walmart. Could you pass me the macaroni? Uh -huh, on that yeah, <laughs> and by the way, <laughs> um, I can do exorcisms for mm -hmm. free. Yeah. Um. So she then talks about she had uh, gone on a a tour mm -hmm. in El Dorado downtown tour. She doesn't say when, but some one of the ladies in the group in this tour. Um, they started talking and they were taking pictures on this ghost tour and mm -hmm. I think I don't know if it's downtown El Dorado, the downtown area. So do you know about this story? Mm -hmm. So before we had the museum tour, mm -hmm. we sometimes would do museum tour or cemetery tours and then at Halloween sometimes also we would do tours through downtown oh, that's cool. and um and talk about the the uh, mysteries mm -hmm. or the, the murders or the ghosts. Uh, with different buildings and locations mm -hmm. and talk about the stories related to that. And so the so I, I, mm -hmm. I think that's what she Well, she's so as it's her and this other person are talking, she's noticed this woman is taking pictures. So mm -hmm. she's asking, what are you exactly taking pictures of? Mm -hmm. And this woman tells her about something called this one other person calls them spirit balls. And mm -hmm. I think we've all, maybe not all, some of us, mm -hmm. if you've taken pictures and if there's little um, orbs in the okay. camera, some people will just pass it off and say it's dust right. in the camera. Other people will say it's the spirits. And so this one, her and her talking about it. So she went on after this tour. She goes back to her house and took, decided, I'm going to take some pictures in my house and see if I can find these little spirit balls in my of house. Of course she would. So, I happen to know, <laughs> you this. know this lady. Yeah, I know this lady. So mm -hmm. when she did this, she says that there were dozens, if not hundreds of balls of light above my house. Mm -hmm. I took pictures of the little houses across the drive, and there were a dozen spheres above them. Mm. So this is kind of her. Now, this next part, I do not have the guts to try. <laughs> God bless her for trying mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. It's um, So a friend of her, her and a friend, decide to get a Ouija board out and try to contact some spirits in her home. Some of those spirit balls. Some of those spirit balls. <laughs> okay. So they both put their fingers on the pointer, moved it across the board, and the board, she said, told them they have 2,500 ghosts living in her house. So she thinks her friend in the story was pushing the OEG thing around. Pushing it around. Yeah, and messing uh -huh. with her. Mm -hmm. So she didn't quite believe it. Uh -huh. So she leaves to make a phone call. Mm -hmm. She came back and sat on a chair, and she said that the pointer moved all on its own. That is a point I would walk out the door. House for sale. House for sale, yes. Yep, yep. So she talks a little bit about the north wing of the, the poor farm mm -hmm. location, or her property. Mm -hmm. She said currently they use it for storage. Okay. So there have been several times in the heat of the summer when she's been walking down the hall to get something, and a puff of frigid air goes right through her. Mm. She's also had several carpenters who have worked on her home tell her that they felt something in the basement. One said they heard breathing. And another said they heard a heartbeat. I I would be packing up my stuff. I would be gone. Out. Yeah, I wouldn't even be there. No, I would not be there. She's um she said a, she's a friend of hers 
said that they saw an old man shuffling down the hall one time. This friend, this person, this friend says, looked at the owner and looked right where this person was, but she mm -hmm. didn't see him. But okay. her friend says that mm -hmm. she saw. She says her doors open slowly and slam shut mm -hmm. when there's no one else home. One time, the owner heard the deadbolt turn on the door to the back porch, and then it swung open. Again? Former residents still yep. making themselves yep. at home. One time, here's another little fun snippet. She was dozing in front of the television late at night and woke to see a wind-up toy walking on the cross floor, and she was alone in the house. Okay, that's creepy. Yeah. Yeah. That's very, like, uh -huh. I don't know, Chucky? It's ch yeah, a little Chucky. Um, this property owner does have children, and she said they have woken up several times in the night and have seen what they call shadow people standing at the foot of their bed. The children tell the shadows to leave, and they do. Okay. So they're somewhat benevolent. Mm -hmm. um, but she goes on to say that um, she doesn't know if something or someone or multiple entities are living in our house with us, but they have never harmed us in any way. So I say live and let live. Mm-hmm. She's got a very positive attitude. Yes. I yes. would be scared. I would have moved out. I would have gone. But yeah. But she's very um, brave mm -hmm. and um, of the type to just take it all in stride. Yes. Yes. I, I, I know her. So doesn't surprise me. Yeah. I appreciate her sharing those stories. Those are great. Very great. Yeah. So a little bit more about that location. Mm -hmm. Um is that uh, I, I do want to look and find out when it became the poor farm because I feel like it was sold to the county when they when uh, William uh, and his maybe his wife uh, when they sold that mm -hmm. uh, property that it was being sold as the poor farm uh, like they they immediately sold mm -hmm. it to them so that it could be a place where mm -hmm. um, indigent and ill could go and be taken care of. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'd like to know a little bit more about mm -hmm. that, but I know that sometimes the people who were living out there on the census are listed as inmates. Even if it, you were just, uh, you're even during the poor farm time, mm -hmm. you're a resident. And I know there were times when you couldn't pay your bills and that kind of yeah. thing. Uh, they would go out there to be taken care of and, and they would still have to contribute to the taking care of the property and, oh, sure. and, and their own. I, I think maybe they actually had a garden and farming uh -huh. to help provide food. Um, I know the county, the taxes did help uh -huh. with um, paying for the uh, caretaker uh -huh. and helping to provide uh, some basics there. But uh, yeah, on the census, they were listed as, as uh, an inmates at, at one point. And I don't think it's because they were, you know, serving time there. Uh -huh. I think um, they, they had to live there because they couldn't live, they right. couldn't afford uh -huh. a home or whatever. Sometimes people maybe would stay there as they were traveling through and, and couldn't afford uh, their own place. So I think there's a lot of stories connected with the people who had been out there. Um, and then of course, fast forward to, I think it had been empty for a little, little while. Um, and they were trying to decide what to do during the war when all of the farmers were needing to, mm -hmm. to harvest and, um, and they decided it would be a good idea to bring some of the, the prisoners of war from up in Riley and Concordia and some mm -hmm. other places in Kansas, have them come down and stay in El Dorado and help, uh, help the farmers. So that was, um, that was a location that they stayed at. I think they probably only stayed there for just under a year. Right. So that more stories, more, mm -hmm. I'm sure there's a lot of good. Oh, that's a fascinating location. Mm -hmm. Had a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Come and go. Mm -hmm. Celebrating 150 years in El Dorado is brought to you by Everyday El Dorado in conjunction with Golden Road Studios, the Butler County Historical Society, home of the Kansas Oil Museum, the City of El Dorado, KBTL 88.1 The Grizz, and our series sponsor, Linda Baines, Realtor with Sun Group Real Estate and Appraisals. We're so very grateful for the support that makes this series possible. So, so we mentioned wanting to take um, a, a cemetery tour this year. And since we yeah. can't, maybe we could just highlight a couple of, yeah. of people in the cemetery. Mm -hmm. And um, 
We do have a little bit of our... And this is Bella Vista. Bella Vista, yes. So something, we have two primary cemeteries. We have a, more than one cemetery, obviously, in Butler County, but in El Dorado, we have two kind of what we think of as our primary cemeteries, our Sunset Lawn and Bella Vista. Right. Bella Vista is where we held the uh, cemetery tour last year. And uh, since we're not doing one this year, maybe next year we could go to Sunset Lawn. I think maybe that's the idea. We could take turns mm -hmm. highlighting I think some. Yeah, the plan. Yeah. So, um, but um, I guess some of the questions is which cemetery is over? Yes. So, and I, well, I know the answer. So. <laughs> <laughs> Before you knew the answer, what did you think I, was the oldest? Bell Vista. Bell I would have said Bell Vista. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, me too. Me too. Um, but we, we think that's not the oldest cemetery. It's actually Sunset Lawns. It is. And how do we know that? This does this tell us in here. The first burial in Sunset Lawn is in 1872. Uh, yeah. What Ken says, it looks like. Ken says. Ken says. Mm -hmm. A dispute existed at which cemetery is oldest. I'm not sure... He doesn't say in this, some of our information that we have here is stuff he wrote for us last mm -hmm. year as a narrator. So mm -hmm. I don't know exactly where he got that source to mm -hmm. know there was a dispute, mm -hmm. but he did some research and found that the first burial for Sunset Lawn is 1872. Mm -hmm. And Bella Vista was in 1887. Mm -hmm. So this is when, when they are saying they're founded. Yeah, and that's the known burial, I cannot say that word, mm -hmm. burials. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, just like anything, there's always the possibility there's somebody buried out there before then. Well, sure, because that brings into to account where did they bury everybody from 1857 on? Absolutely, yeah. Till 1872. That's a really good question. Because people die. Yeah, we know people were here before 1872, so mm -hmm. where are those? And are we saying nobody died until 72? Which that's not true. That's not true. Uh, because even, so something that's interesting to me, I would love to find, I don't know if we, it's like a needle in a haystack, but I love those kind of mysteries, was uh, where Samuel Stewart is buried. Ah. So he was really what I've identified as the first death. Mm -hmm. Even though it didn't occur in Butler County, he was um, living in El Dorado. He's an El Dorado citizen mm -hmm. and... Um, legislator representative and uh at that time had a, this is going to be a future story mm -hmm. but kind of ties into here um had been in pursuit of horse thieves mm -hmm. when he was killed in indian territory so we don't know how far in he was Exactly, because Indian Territory pretty much El Dorado was in Indian Territory. Right. Uh, it was just right on the line of Butler and Hunter, which was also you know, Osage lands at that time. At that time, um, and so, so what I wonder is, is he buried there, wherever there was, um, or did they bring his body back to to El Dorado to be buried? That's a good question. Something to to keep. In mind when we when we go through his story uh, because he would have been buried somewhere mm -hmm. and and so th so that does bring up a good question if if they're saying sunset lawn dates to 1872 well then where were people up until before then right and and perhaps people were buried in Bella Vista they just maybe didn't have markers right. and we don't have records records disappear mm -hmm. they get damaged mm -hmm. and maybe it's just 1872 is the first record we have as a burial. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So, I don't know if we have an official answer. We have what's documented. Yes. Yeah. But that may not be the full story. Right. But we're going to go with that. So we we know both their cemeteries have their founding in the 1880s mm -hmm. or 70s, 80s, um, as far as putting up a sign and saying this official cemetery. Right. Um, and so we are going to read a couple of stories of some people that are buried in Bell Vista. And uh, so what's our first story gonna be here? Do we talk about Peter and Andrew? Peter and Andrew, mm-hmm. Okay, I'll read, this is the little bio that we used last year. Uh -huh. So who's Peter and who's Andrew? So Peter is the father. Okay. Andrew is the son. Mm -hmm. The last name is Giltenbacher. 
they are buried in Bell Vista Cemetery. I believe they're buried next to each other. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Peter, the dad, was a caller for the Missouri Pacific Railroad, which meant it was his job to call up railroad personnel to fill any spots on the trains if one worker was sick or otherwise temporary unavailable to do the job. You know, what's interesting is you would think, what, you know, is that a, a, a job? Um, and when going through the, the newspaper and look, look, looking at the records that they have, a lot of times they'll have railroad notes and they'll have mm -hmm. lists of who's working, who's not working right now, who's available, who's doing what and where. Hmm. This is a column in the paper. So That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a, um, a job that I didn't think about much before, you know, looking into mm -hmm. this, that someone had to, hey, you got to come to work today. So one night in January, Peter walked 12 blocks in El Dorado to wake up his son, Andrew, and an extra for the railroad company to let them know they were needed to fill a shift. So the extra was, let's see, I've got his name Do you here. That? So, yeah, it, uh, you know, it's I important. Like, no, it's important to have the names. Yeah, whenever they say, oh, names lost to, yeah. lost to history. Everybody has the story. I'm like, you know, they're not lost to history. We just have to, we just have to, we have to look a little. Um, his name was Mettler, Grover Mettler. Grover Mettler. So he was the engineer, okay. and uh, Andrew Giltenbacher was the fireman. Oh. And they worked in pairs, so whenever there was an engineer, there was a yeah. fireman. That makes sense. On the shift. That mm -hmm. makes sense. So Andrew and Milton, is that what you said? Mettler. Mettler. Mm -hmm. So they filled the shift, and two hours later, uh, Peter, the dad, Andrew's dad, enters mm -hmm. the railroad office to warm his hands at the stove. It's January. And he'd been out walking. Been out walking. Both ways, yeah. 12 blocks. Yep, he's gotten his, his son and work co-worker off. Mm -hmm. um, so as he's warming his hands at the stove, he's informed by the telegraph operator that two people, Mettler and Smith, had just been killed in an engine wreck at Yates Center. Peter, the dad, mm -hmm. then realizes with horror it is not Smith who had been killed, but his own son, Andrew. Mm. So the operator thought Smith was on duty that night and he was supposed to be. He was supposed to be. But Peter he called him sick. Mm -hmm, called him sick. So Peter went and had his son fill in. Yeah. And he was the one who. Ends up dying. That is sad. And you know, I did a little more research about mm -hmm. this. This, uh, this was at Yates Center. So we had a. A uh, what do they call those roundhouse? Mm -hmm. The train comes yeah. in and go around. So that is what is now what we call the ice house. Oh, okay. And that's at Third and so we have the train depot right, right at Third and Main. And then if you'll just go one block um, east, mm -hmm. then that the the roundhouse was there. So it came okay. around that way, and there's the ice house sits right there. But now it's a couple of streets. So but it was the roundhouse. So that's where they worked at. Um, and, uh, let's see, Yates, so this, this was the line that went from El Dorado, they went to El Dorado mm -hmm. to Yates, and at Yates, and I've been out there uh -huh. about a year ago for, they had a steam engine come through one of the Union Pacific trains on like oh. an anniversary mm -hmm. kind of thing, and it's, um, you know, it's just, it's not a big station, it mm -hmm. just runs through there, um, but a year earlier there had been another wreck there and killed two people so it was kind of I think maybe a dangerous intersection Must I don't know if at that roundhouse which is you know someone's got to direct the traffic and switch the things and I know nothing about railroads but somehow um, that was a place where you know people had died before and on this specific train there were other people from El Dorado on it um, but but um, these were the only two gentlemen mm -hmm. that died it's a sad end for Andrew, and yes. I don't think he was ever married. Uh, what I did learn a little bit, though, he was in the first class of the new college in 1896 in wow. El So he is one of the very first students. Uh -huh. um, I didn't find out a whole lot more uh -huh. about him. There just really, you know, wasn't a lot written. Mm -hmm. you know, he hadn't been alive for very long. Right. Um, but yeah, that was kind of a sad story. Yeah. Huh. I'm going to keep telling these sad stories. I know. We're <laughs> They're kind of ghosty, kind of mystery, kind of, mostly yeah, sad. Mostly sad. 
Mostly sad. We've got another story. Let's so see. Do you want to go to Matilda? Yes, because that's less sad. It's a survivor story. It's a survivor story. Yeah. That's yeah. what I mean by less. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's the, and it's a big one. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how we can exactly completely tell this. Well, there's more, there's more to it. There's a lot. Yeah. Yes. So I guess that's a good time to say uh, these, what we're sharing are just kind of overviews. But if you yes. want to learn more, mm -hmm. you can come to the museum and and find a lot of resources here mm -hmm. uh, some information that we have some Suzanne can point you mm -hmm. to we do have some information on the friend um, the next one Matilda because her and her husband um, were in the community for such a long time we do actually have some um, actual newspaper clippings and they may be um, in a book as well mm -hmm. but they're definitely on newspapers.com mm -hmm. And other places because um, because of their long term connection to El Dorado, mm -hmm. are, yeah, they are information. So the Friends, though, interesting enough, um, actually originated from te well this branch of the Friends, I believe, um, and I'm not prepared for this part, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it, so I could be wrong. Conspiracy theory, yeah. Well, this was not necessarily conspiracy, <laughs> just as much I'm not. I didn't do my uh, research facts on this part, mm -hmm. but Mr. F uh, John Friends, who's mm -hmm. oldest husband. I want to say it's either his brother or father is already in El Dorado, and I believe as a preacher. Mm -hmm. um, don't quote me on that. Okay. Don't tell. Don't go around saying Suzanne said that because mm -hmm. it's. But I do know that. Um, Our shirt will not say yeah, Suzanne. Sure that, yeah. But there was a local connection to El Dorado already. There was a friend that was already here, okay. and that's how Matilda and her husband end up in El Dorado okay. for the most part. Okay. So, the story is Matilda, uh, the wife of John. Um, so Matilda grew up on the Texas frontier and was a pioneer of Llano County, Texas in the mid 1800s. She is described in the women's edition of the Walnut Valley Times as a heroine, quiet and unassuming. I'm gonna insert the, the women's edition of the Walnut Valley Times, which I think was about 1896, 1895, mm -hmm. is a fascinating part of El Dorado history. Mm -hmm. um, I believe it was Sheldon, Uncle mm -hmm. Sheldon. Mm -hmm. He uh, publishes a special edition about women throughout Butler County, and he is just a just a champion of um, their individual stories. So it's just a great find to see all these women and what they're doing. And um, I don't want to know if empowerment's the right word, mm -hmm. but their independence and their roles, and it's just completely focused on women. Oftentimes, we don't get that kind of focus with women's mm -hmm. history, so it's just a great, mm -hmm. great piece. But so yeah. Matilda, um, she and three cousins, so we're in Texas at this point. Three cousins are staying at a home um, one February day, uh, while Mr. Friend went off to the mill about 20, 25 miles away. So at some point when they're at home, a group of Native Americans come by, comes by. Um, I'm not sure of the sentence, I'm sorry. And let off a pony. I'm not sure. I think they probably took a horse. Okay, they took a horse mm -hmm. that had been stabled near the, home, mm -hmm. the house while the women and children watched. Uh, perhaps realizing that no men were home to defend the home, the Native Americans returned and made an attack on the house. Um, now it's, in this biography, I don't know how many there are, mm -hmm. um, or if it's an offshoot of a what tribe. Um, mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I do not have that information. But, um, so they return, they attack the home. Matilda throws flat irons at the group, uh, took an arrow in the arm, and took one, an arrow under one rib before falling in and pretending to be dead. Uh, she continued to stay still when tossed onto the floor and dragged from under the ha house uh, where an Indian yanks the arrow out of her. Um, he begins to scalp her. She throws an arm up in defense. She receives three gashes on her arm, which becomes permanently disabled by these gashes. Two scalp blocks are taken and she was left for dead. She, as, as the band leaves, she got, eventually gets up, walks and crawls a mile and a half to the nearest neighbor who removed the arrow before they ran to hide. She then sat in an empty house all night until help arrived. Other, the other women were killed and the children were taken captive. Uh, the children were later rescued. Less than a month after this 
um, experience a daughter was born. She was pregnant mm. when this attack occurs. So that's mm. a really quick summary of everything that happened. Mm -hmm. um, and there's even a more in-depth story about the, one of the children taken captive. Mm -hmm. um, they do find him years later. Um, the dad continues to search for him, and I think even the grandfather, and mm -hmm. they eventually are found, I want to say about seven, eight years later. Mm -hmm. and I, I believe his name was Topish. Mm -hmm. uh, He'd been renamed as Topish. Mm -hmm. He no longer, he speaks very little English. Mm -hmm. He does come back to El Dorado, and I'm kind of glossing over some pieces. He, um, he doesn't really know how to function. A lot of people make fun of him mm -hmm. because of, because of his English and because of the way he interacts. Mm -hmm. And eventually, he... so so I'm just going to ask mm -hmm. real quick. He was then uh, raised by this Native American. Yeah, this tribe. I'm, mm -hmm. I wish I knew. I'm sorry. I wish I knew the tribe that he's raised by. Mm -hmm. But he is. He's raised by them. Mm -hmm. And when he comes back, um, he doesn't. It's not too long. He ends up dying of um, salt poisoning because mm -hmm. a lot of um, it's it was it wasn't very common to have salt and in this and then um, some tribes it was salt wasn't a very consistent staple mm -hmm. so he wouldn't have been used to it and um, the theory is he kind of gorged himself on the salt mm -hmm. and then eventually dies of this mm -hmm. because of that mm -hmm. so it's sad but Matilda herself to have gone undergone this attack mm -hmm. she's very pregnant from the story goes mm -hmm. she um and then it's just survive it and so yeah it's just she lives quite a lot while longer after but, mm -hmm. yeah and then to the point that she is also biographed in this women's edition yes in 1896 mm -hmm. yeah. so that's something do we have a copy of that women's edition here at the museum we don't i would love that is my <laughs> goal is to get that um some type of a um copy for us mm -hmm. as a resource okay because there's lots of women in there for the whole county that would be great so is search. it available online then is that something it is yeah it is available on newspapers.com you can search for the wall in the valley times mm -hmm. um for women's edition um i think it was 1896 i don't i think it's march 1896 mm -hmm. and you'll find it so if someone's interested in reading more they could come here if they didn't have a newspapers mm -hmm. account um, and and is that something they can use on the computer here? Yeah, they can use the microfilm. Microfilm is free mm -hmm. to use. Yeah, if you want to make a copy, there's a small charge, but mm -hmm. yeah, you can. You're welcome to come in. It's free. So we probably have a copy of that on the microfilm. We have a copy on the microfilm. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah, I misspoke. We have a copy on the microfilm, <laughs> but not, a hard copy. not like a hard copy to pull okay. off the shelf. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that's good. Um, and there's a lot more stories than what we what we are going to cover here today mm -hmm. um but if you would like to learn more yes you can how can they find uh find you on the interwebs our website is kansasoilmuseum.org mm -hmm. and um our right now the museum itself is open on thursday friday and saturday uh the research library is open at that time as well uh, Tuesdays and Wednesdays, the library is open by appointment only. Okay. So, the best way to contact you would be Facebook, YouTube, I mean, Facebook or a website? Email, yeah. Email, email works. Okay. Phone mm -hmm. works, you can call me. Okay. Well, I think that's that's it. I've got lots of stories here, but I don't think we can go into quite all. I think we've done, <laughs> I think we've done quite enough today. Uh -huh. I think we, so. We didn't solve any mysteries. No. I mean, we learned about some more. Huh. Definitely, definitely interesting. So, well, I think next week we will get back to our regularly scheduled programming. Um, so, thank you for joining us here on another episode of Everyday El Dorado. I'm Deanna Bond. I'm Suzanne Bolinta. And we will see you next time. Celebrating 150 years in El Dorado is brought to you by Everyday El Dorado in conjunction with Golden Road Studios, the Butler County Historical Society, home of the Kansas Oil Museum, the City of El Dorado, KBTL 88.1 The Grizz, and our series sponsor, Linda Baines, Realtor with Sun Group Real Estate and Appraisal. 
We're so very grateful for the support that makes this series possible. All views and opinions expressed on this show are those of the individuals expressing them and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or positions of Butler Community College or KBTL 88.1 The Grizz, El Dorado, Kansas, Radio for Butler. here on Everyday El Dorado, but keep an eye out and an ear open for your source of information on the fine art of living well every day in El Dorado. Have a great day. No, I'm not a writer. Okay. Yeah, but